You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> but uh, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Um, God, my Father, God, I thank you for this day that we can come and celebrate you, Father, that we can uh, spend time together and in your word. God, you, um, God you've instituted uh, this thing we call church, Father. We come together as the body. God, you bless that, Father. And um, you have commanded us to do it. And God, we ask, Lord, in obedience to you, Father, that you would, um, you would be here and guide us through this, Father. As we, um, God, as we approach your word, Father, I pray, Lord, that we approach it with um, caution, Father. And I pray, Lord, that we approach it with reverence and awe, that we approach you with reverence and awe, God, and that you would speak to us tonight. Father, that you are the creator of all the world. You are the one that knit us together in our, in our mother's womb. You are the one that, um, God, it says you chose us before the foundation of the world. And God, we are, we are in awe of what you have done. You have sent your son to take our place, Father. God, there's, there's really no words. You're indescribable. We thank you. We ask, Lord, that you will forgive us of our many sins, Father. God, that we would be, um, God, we'd be righteous before you because we plead the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. You know, he tells the disciples, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, I want to pose a question to you. Can we learn how to pray? Can we learn how to pray? Well, the answer is yes, and it's kind of a simple answer because that's exactly what they asked him. His disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, and then he responds with this. This is how you pray. And so, yes, we can learn how to pray. And, uh, and I believe that it is a... I believe that it's an ongoing process, a lifelong process, that there's, no, uh, there's not going to be a secret formula to it, but there are definitely, um, there's definitely going to be things that we can uh, dig into his word to see how to better equip us along the way. So as Jesus was approached, you know, he didn't respond with, no, you cannot. You cannot learn how to pray. Instead, he taught them how to pray. Uh, but I feel like over the course of time um, that many people have come across scripture and it's either become 
the very thing they were warned against, like this becoming, he, he tells us not to have prayers as vain, repetitious prayers. All right, and, and that's the exact thing that a lot of people that they, they come into with the Lord's Prayer. That's one of the, I guess, the dangers in repeating the Lord's Prayer is that it can become the very thing that, that Christ warns us about is those vain, uh, repetitious prayers. But for many others, it kind of goes the other route. You know, and, and what I mean by that is this idea that prayer is, um, let, me, let me put it this way. Prayer is merely personal and we can approach God in whatever manner that we want. So, so instead, you know, you kind of got these two trains of thought going on is that some people uh, might make it very rigid, you know, um, and, and very so structured that, that it's not even personal. But then there, there's some that might go into it and they may pray for hours on end, but it may be that they only see it as personal and it's only something between them and God and that there is no structure and that there is no biblical base. And I'm going to get deeper into that in a minute. So, so there are many people who, for instance, pray a lot. In fact, throughout history, there are many people who are not professing believers in Jesus Christ, but they spend a lot of time in what they call prayer or maybe even they call it meditation um, connecting to what they believe is a being that they see as divine and even some of them call this being God there are people all over the world that pray that are not Christians but they pray and you know some of them uh, call that being that they pray to God and some of them call them something else most of the time seeing God's much like they see themselves. But I believe Christians can even be guilty of this. Okay? But that they would see whatever they're praying to much like they see themselves. So like in Greek mythology, for instance, these Greek gods were usually, they were usually just mere men who had, and women, who had uh, these super strengths, supernatural abilities. So just super strong men and women called gods and goddesses in Greek mythology. So something that, that they kind of could uh, see and, and picture and kind of put a face to uh, and that would be similar to them or what they would at least want themselves to be. And that's who they prayed to. Another example would be nations in history where the emperor is viewed as a god like in japan uh the emperor viewed as a god uh and other places as well in history this is what many people do when not directed by god himself if if they're just going into their prayer life uh kind of on their own uh you say willy-nilly you know kind of creating this image of god all right and so whatever they feel is god that that's what they worship and that's what they pray to so they create an image of God and they worship and they pray to it so it's usually shaped by the worldview of what they feel is good or bad or right or wrong is what they're praying to even so-called Christians do this and might spend hours each day in what they call prayer but what does this mean if their image of God is not shaped by his word 
but rather by their feelings and worldviews. My question to a person who already spends hours in prayer, okay, uh, this is so if you spend hours in prayer, you need to ask yourself this question Does your view of God in His Word shape your prayer life? Does your view of God in, in His Word shape your prayer life? There are also men and women who spend hours in God's Word, they study, they teach, some preach. They know Greek and Hebrew. They know the history of the church and they can read great theologians. They can quote scriptures. They can speak about things of God for hours and have opinion on all major topics in scripture. My question, you know, that's usually the preachers, but not just preachers. But the question in general to all in society who do these things would be this. My question is someone who spends Really, a lot of time, hours on doctrine. The good things, good things would be this. How much time do you spend in prayer? Because uh, a man devoted, if a man is devoted just to, to mere study, but not reliant on prayer, they're just as useless as the one that's devoted to prayer but does not even know the one whom they pray to. There's no power outside of it. If you're not reliant on God. We, we've talked about that. It's a slap in his face. Um, it's, it's just pride. Okay, and so, so Keller actually quotes, um, on, this is what Tim Keller says on not praying. Imagine that you are rooming with someone and... Uh, he or she virtually doesn't speak to you. And all they do is leave messages for you. When you mention it, they say, well, I don't get much out of talking to you. I find it boring and my mind, you know, is kind of flitting everywhere. So I just don't try. I just quit trying. So what will you conclude with if this is the case? If this person who, you know, you live with, uh, never even speaks to you. You know, uh, regardless of how scintillating a conversationalist you are, it's rude for them not to talk to you in it. I mean, if you've ever lived with someone and they gave you the cold shoulder, there, there's not much more of disrespect, there's not much more of unlovingness, of, of showing that that person does not matter to you than to turn, turn your back to them, right? To, to treat them in a way as if they do not exist. Most people would rather hash it out than to go there, wouldn't they? Most people would rather just go ahead and tell me how you feel rather than act like I'm dead. That you can't get much more disrespectful than that, can you? And so, so here says this, um, or Keller says this, this person owes it to the sweet mate to at least interact face to face. Of course, rudeness is far too weak a word to use for a failure to directly address your maker, sustainer, and redeemer to whom you owe every breath. I mean, just think about it in that sense. Paul Washer says this about, about um, 
really Christianity, but it, but it works the same way in prayer. Christianity is much more than doctrine, but it's not less than doctrine. But then he goes on to say, but it's much more than doctrine. You know, and so as we have studied, you know, it's kind of an intro. This was a kind of a long intro, a two-page intro. <laughs> but uh, as we have studied the Lord's Prayer, we have seen that Jesus teaches us like that how we address God's important, right? We talked about that. This is personal. How do we how does he start off in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father starts out our Father. It's very personal. Um that but yet he also with the next phrase he says, Who art in heaven? So although it's personal, it's very respectful. You know, I mean I've I've heard people go to God in prayer uh, almost like he's their homeboy. You know what I mean? In a very disrespectful way. You know, uh, making reference to, you know, the man upstairs, things like that, that, that just give him, you know, more looking like just another, just another human being. You know, just another friend. And he is... He is so different than any other friend we have. He is so different than any father that we have. He's so much more. And so we, we address him personally. It is a personal relationship. But it's also one with, with much reverence and respect. That as we address him, you know, Jesus tells us, he reminds us, yes, we address him as father, but he is also the Lord of all creation. And, and, and we need to be mindful of that. So we praise him, though, as we tell of him, we tell him of his own character in our prayer and his work when we proclaim how hollow his name is. So when we pray and, and Jesus tells us that we're to hallow his name and that his name be hallowed, that we're declaring back to him of his mighty works, of how... Uh, he is how he is the master of everything. And so we're declaring that back to him. We pray for his will. We talked about that. We pray for his will and his mighty kingdom to reign. Not only in our lives, but throughout this world. When we pray those words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're declaring. Not only God that we want we want your will to be done in our lives, but we really want your kingdom come. We really want it the way that you intended it, not just in our life, but in all aspects of life here on earth. That's what we're praying. His will. His way. We pray that God is our provider and we ask, and we ask to rely on Him for all that we need when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We, that's what we talked about last time. Give us this day our daily bread. It, it can mean so much more than just the material sustenance. But it, it, can mean, it really means that we rely on Him for everything. That we're dependent, totally dependent on Him for all that we receive. And He is the one that gives uh, all good gifts. But as we get to the next words in the Lord's Prayer, we see some very interesting things that we have not encountered yet when we read verse 12. So I'm going to read it again. And forgive us our debts. 
and some translations, trespasses. As we also forgive our debtors, in some translations, those who trespassed against us. This is the first offer in the prayer of repentance of our sins. It is also appears to be the first action involving others. And even appears to be somewhat conditional. It reads almost as though our being forgiven of debts or sins is conditional on our ability to forgive others their debts against us. And I'm going to get back to that uh, later. So, so just kind of keep that in mind. But from now, for right now, I want to focus on the heart of forgiveness. And, um, and I'm probably going to be really playing off of Tony's message this morning. Uh, but I think, I think it will go well. Um, I'm actually going to start this part of the conversation not within the Scriptures, but rather in the midst of believers in modern history. Some believers in modern history. I read over this list of believers who have forgiven great atrocities um, really over the past, you know, probably 60, 70 years. Um, and against them and their families. Great atrocities. <laughs> I mean, if you know their stories like Corey Timboon, you know, where um, she, you know, went through the Holocaust and, and um, you know, saw and, and experienced so many great horrors. But then yet when it was all over with, you know, this, this man who did not recognize her, but she recognized him, comes up to her after she spoke one time. And it was one of the guards and he was so broken over her message. He didn't even know who she was. But he was so broken over what he had taken part of in the Holocaust. He came up asking forgiveness. And it was very difficult for her to forgive him. But she ended up doing it. She had to pray on the spot for God to give her the strength. She recognized him right off the bat. And you know, to, to have seen what she saw... And then, and then if the story of Jim Elliot and others, he wasn't the only one, but um, you know, to go to, he goes to Ecuador um, to, to minister to these people who were remote, so remote that there was nobody who really made contact with them. And, and over, over a process of, I think, months, they, they were sending in gifts, flying in gifts to these people. And they met with one of them and, you know, kind of thought it was a friendly exchange. And then they finally get, you know, get the okay to come into the village. And, and what happens? Those five men were murdered. And, uh, and the wife of Jim Elliott keeps pursuing those people and ends up, you know, leading um, one of the men who killed her husband to Christ in an amazing amazing story of forgiveness and, and then and, you know the the list goes on and on of the things I read, I read if, if one's recent the Amish community where the guy goes in and shoots up the school and those people go on um, national news and forgive the man you know he took his life but then what did they do the wife of the man, they took, they took things to her. They helped support her 
through that process. You know, and when, when I read of things like this, and then, you know, you see, you see their forgiveness in extraordinary circumstances, and yet it seems like, you know, we seem to hold grudges over the smallest infractions in our society. Um, usually for a slip of the tongue, you know, um, or even a look, you know, that people, um, you know, can put people into a dispute. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say this to overlook anyone who's really been treated unfairly or slighted. I, I'm not making light. I know that they're, everybody in here has got stories where they've been damaged, you know, where they've, where they've really been through some tough times. And it's not, it's, not to, it's not to make light of that um, at all. But it was painful for me to read of the great sorrow that these people were able to find strength from the Lord to forgive. It was painful for me because, because I think of the times where, it's, where I struggle with it in situations I shouldn't. You know? And here these people in the greatest sorrow of their lives were able to rely on the Lord's strength to do what He commands us to do. To forgive. And, and that is the key. It's the strength from the Lord. So what each of these did not, excuse me, what each of these did was not natural at all, is it? It's not really natural at all to forgive someone who has killed your spouse, who has killed your children. That's not natural. There was another story of of a, a lady who was paralyzed for life for, for the negligence of another, and yet she forgave. That's, that's not really natural. It's not. It's supernatural. It, it's forgiveness that really comes from above. So I want to take you to Luke 7 for a moment. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Luke 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, and he answered, say it, teacher. Verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, so go in peace. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel, I think, in the Bible. Is this picture of this uh, outcast woman, this sinner, this prostitute, who is, is really at the mercy of Jesus Christ. And he tells this parable to prove a point. And it's one that we need to get as the church. We need to understand this. Her says she was forgiven much. That's why she loved much. Her sins were huge. Not even bigger than anybody else. All these little things that we do aren't little. They're wicked. They're evil. And they're responsible for just as much as adultery or murder or rape. They're just as responsible. The little things that you say out of the way to people are just as responsible for our Savior hanging on the cross as adultery, murder, rape. They're just as responsible. We are just as responsible. It's not that she sinned more and that's why she loved more is that she saw her sin. Just like the tax collector and the Pharisee. The tax collector went home justified because he knew he was a sinner. And he's begging for forgiveness. He's begging for grace and mercy. It's no different with you and I. It's no different. But you know, none of these examples can compare with the example. As we think of the words of the holy and true Messiah, Christ Jesus, as He prays for our forgiveness and the Father's will to be done as sweats of blood drop from His forehead in Gethsemane, as he is wrongfully accused and treated as a criminal, spit on, cursed, mocked, and beaten, bloody to the point that he is not recognizable. Yet on the cross, he proclaims to Father God, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The grace here is immeasurable. The mercy here is astounding. It's really scandalous and amazing. In that breath was forgiveness for you and I. We, like the prostitute woman, have nothing but our own broken hearts to, fill, to lift up to God. That's what we have to offer up. Broken hearts. Broken bodies. Broken people. That's what we are. But that's really 
all that He requires is us. Requires us to give ourselves to Him. He's, He's the one that's made the way. Let us make our... I want you to think about this for, for a second. Make your list of offenses against God. We have a hard time forgiving others. Make your list of offenses that you have committed against God. I bet you, I bet you, if you really stop and think hard about it, you'll probably get somewhere down the line in offenses and start forgetting all the things that you've done. Think about this. All those things which placed your Savior on the cross and the greatest of all these offenses is that each one of those things that we chose, that sin that we chose, we were choosing that over God. Idolatry. That's what we were doing with each one of those sins. You say it's small, but it's not. Each one of them, you were saying, I'm going to do it my way instead of His way. It's just like the fruit in the garden. That's why you and I would have messed it up probably quicker than Adam and Eve. Is that with that one bite of fruit, it was rolled up disobedience, idolatry, rebellion, right? God said, do it my way, and they chose differently. That's what we do in every time that we choose to do something wicked, and it's all wicked. All that sin is wicked. Every time that we choose to do it wickedly, that we choose against God, that we're choosing something over Him. It's idolatry. And each one of those is a slap in God the Father's face. Each one of them is a slap in God the Father's face that He he offered His Son. And it's a slap in the face of Jesus Christ. But yet He offers grace. But yet He offers grace. So how can we muster up grace to forgive? So we know that we should forgive, don't we? We know we should forgive. And we also know that we can forgive. You can. Any offense with the strength from Christ as we look to His example. We ought to be able to see that. If you have a hard time forgiving someone, it's probably because that you are not thinking of what Christ forgave you. You did Him far worse than what someone else did to you. You did him far worse. God the Father gave up far more than you've ever given up. But does that mean that we will always, that we always do forgive? Does that mean that we always do forgive? And if we do not uh, forgive, does that does the scripture and others mean that he will not forgive us? And this is where it gets kind of scary. And this is where, um, you know, we've got to spend a little bit of time kind of dissecting this. So look at Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. 
It says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. He says that right after he gets through with the Lord's Prayer. Right after he says, forgive us our debtors as we forgive those um, you know, debt, debts against us. Here's some similar scripture. Mark 11, 25 and 26. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive. Matthew 18, 34 and 35. And the master was angry, and he handed him over to the jailers until he paid back all that he owed. So will my Father who is heaven in heaven also do to you uh, if each one of you does not forgive his brothers from your hearts. That all looks condemning, doesn't it? I mean, is this, is this the one exception? I, is this the time like that? Because, I mean, you know, we've always heard, right, that, I mean, our forgiveness is not based off of works. Our forgiveness is based off of faith. But this seems like we've got to do something. And if we don't do this, then our Father in heaven won't forgive us. That's troubling. It seems contradictory towards some scripture in the Bible. But yet also, do you know that there are other places in the Bible that is not just, it doesn't just say, this is actually consistent with the New Testament teachings. That is, it doesn't just talk about forgiveness, forgiving your brothers. It, it also says where it talks about the eye. If your eye calls you to sin and you don't pluck it out, your father will not forgive you of your sins. It also says this of calling your brother a fool. It also says this, if you do not love your enemy. It also says this about whoever causes the little ones to stumble. So it's actually very consistent teaching with, with this view of holiness, of uh, that there is a standard that, God, that Jesus gives us these commandments and that we're supposed to keep these commandments to show our love, aren't we? But this is very troubling I don't know about you, but these things I have broken. These things that it says in the New Testament that liars will not inherit, thieves will not inherit. Those who continue in sin do not love God and will not inherit. It's very troubling scripture for us. So what does it mean? It looks so condemning. Um, Piper puts it this way. Galatians 6.15 He says we're a new creation and the mark of our newness is not yet perfection but a persistent inclination to forgive a hasty repair of our failure to do so and a steady petition for God to disregard the sin that we are abandoning. I'm going to say that one more time. I may post that later. But listen to this quote. We are a new creation. And the mark of our newness 
It's not yet perfection, is it? Those, those things, um, there, there's really two ways that, that I saw it. Um, Piper said it one way. John MacArthur said it a little bit different on this scripture. Um, I'm going to offer up both of these to you. I think neither, I think both of them uh, definitely apply to scripture. Probably only one of them is correct dealing with this particular scripture. But because both of them are biblically accurate, I feel comfortable explaining it. Okay? So the way Piper explains it, and then I'm going to read this quote one more time at the end. Here, here's the way Piper explains uh, this, this kind of conundrum where, where it looks like it's conditional, right? Like our forgiveness, we have to forgive in order to, um, to be forgiven. Like we have to do this work. The way that Piper explains it is much like the, the rest of the New Testament is worded. Is that what this proves that, uh, that we are a regenerated believer. That uh, regenerated believers are still imperfect. And there are going to come times where we're face to face with someone. And they insult us or push us the wrong way. And in a moment of weakness in our flesh that we are going to have a very unforgiving spirit. But that what God will do in His mercy and grace as a, as a regenerate believer is that He will move upon us and time frame, I don't know, that time frame may vary and that, um, that those believers will be chastened to repentance. But he also mentions that this, that this also, much like the rest of the New Testament, goes along with this same concept. Faith without works is dead. And so those who refuse, those who refuse to obey, who go against His commands and live a lifelong process of disregarding God's command to forgive, unable to forgive, won't forgive, that all that proves is that they're not a son or daughter, is what Piper says. MacArthur has a different take on this scripture. He believes this is talking about believers, and he believes that, that what this is talking about is a different type of punishment, a different type of God not forgiving, not the, the once uh, that, that they were forgiven, uh, that all their sins were forgiven, but yet that there are consequences for our sin here on earth. And the way that MacArthur explains it is that if we choose not to forgive, even as believers, that, that God will chasten his sons or daughters and uh, to repentance. So he doesn't believe that it, it really talks about unbelievers here. Um, and so... So both of them have a little bit of a different angle on uh, explaining this verse. But here's what I wanted to bring out that, that I believe is totally relevant is the fact that Jesus Christ is commanding us to forgive our debtors. That's the command. And in the heart of every believer, as we hear the commands of Jesus Christ, we are warned to obey those commands in all these scriptures that I read off. 
And so we need to be the people that heed those commands, that listen closely and, and get past feelings to the understanding that He has called us to this. Just no different than He has called us to missions. No different than He has called us to uh, witness. No different than He has called us to be loyal to our spouses, to be loyal to our church. He has called us to forgive. He's called us to it. It's what we're commanded of. And so, as He calls His people to it, that we need to heed that. And then we need to seek that, no matter how hard it gets. Because rest assured that no one sacrificed more and gave more than He did. And no one has slighted more in the relationship in any relationship than we have slighted Him. No one has disrespected more than the way we've disrespected Him. No one has cheated more in the way that we have cheated Him. We're the perpetrators. But thank God He gives grace. That's where we can rejoice, church. As, as we offer up repentance, confession, that He is faithful to forgive. He is faithful even when we're not. So, as we close tonight, um, you know, I, I pray that, that, that there was great connection between uh, this morning and tonight. Uh, it wasn't even, you know, really set up that way by me. And I pray that it was just the way that God orchestrated it. But, you know, I feel like there's got to be some of that in this room. I don't, I don't think God accidentally had Brother Tony preach about it this morning and me be right here right now that that was the verse that I was supposed to be over. Um, you know, is that? Is that your heart tonight? Is there unforgiveness? Is He calling you to, to uh, get past grudges? Is He calling you to get past those things that where maybe people have slighted you and treated you unfairly where you can offer up uh, forgiveness like Christ forgave you. You know, is that you tonight? I think probably it's probably a little bit of everybody in here. They can probably find some leaf to turn over to see that maybe they've been harboring something that they should have let go of a long time ago. You know? Or maybe even today. You know? Um, let's pray. God, my Father, God, you are, you are everything. God, you are merciful and gracious. But God, you do not deal with sin lightly. You do not deal with unforgiveness lightly. You would not have spoken such hard and harsh words about it. We need to heed those warnings of all these things uh, in your word, Father. You reveal Yourself in Your Word, Father, that we can, we can come to You and know You. We can know Your character. We can trust in Your promises, Father. That You are who, who Your Word says You are. You wrote it. It's by Your hand. 
And God, God, because of that, we need to obey. Out of faith, we need to obey. And God, I pray, Lord, that you will give us strength to obey, that you will give us strength to forgive like you forgive. That the times where, where we uh, find it hard to forgive, Father, you'll bring remembrance to us, God, how dirty and how broken we are. God, that we will be like that woman in Luke 7 where we just want to sit at your feet, Father, because we know that we have been forgiven so much, Father, that you will give us the ability to love much. Let us be that type of people. Let us be that type of church that Brother Tony was talking about this morning, that your word declares. God, that we will be a church that loves much, forgives much, that is not easily offended. God, that relies on you for everything. God, that studies your word diligently, but gets on our knees in prayer as diligently. God, my Father, make us that type of people. Whatever you got to do, Father, make us that type of church, Father, that we would be a church that relies on your power and your strength and not our own, not schemes, not plans or programs, Father, but, God, that we would be the people that would trust in your power. God, and that can only be done by a church that gets on its knees. We, we slap you in the face when we refuse to pray. It's pride, Father. God, forgive us of that pride. Forgive me of that pride. God, make me into a humble servant who knows that he cannot do it on his own. Forgive us where we have failed you, Father. Help us to forgive others. God, your will be done. It's all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.